Well, good morning once again. It's good to see you all here. It's holiday weekend, so we got a lot of folks out and a lot of folks in visiting. We welcome all of you here today. If you are visiting, uh, my name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as the pastor here. Um, I serve with a group of elders, uh, six men who, who love Jesus more than they love themselves. And, uh, and, and we're in the process of bringing on two additional elders. And so um, continue to pray for us in that process. We only have nine months left, so uh, it's a lengthy process to do that. Um, a couple of quick things. First of all, uh, ladies, I hear that you had a big show in this last Wednesday night. So two Wednesday nights ago, the men gathered together the church for our kickoff for men's ministry. We had 65 guys here, which I thought was a big deal. A lot of men here uh, listening to uh, the word and, and learning about biblical community. And then the ladies show up this past Wednesday, and we had over 80 women who came this last Wednesday night, which was phenomenal. So um, for all you who are involved in that, um, we're excited about what God's going to do in our men's and our women's ministry. If you're not sure about um, how that works here at our church, please get in contact with us. Let us know, and we'll, sh- we'll share with you how that works. Um, a, a quick announcement I want to make uh, about Harvey relief efforts. And so if you got the email this past week, you saw that initially we were looking for some organizations to partner with financially, um, while at the same time, our missions pastor here was networking with other pastors in our area, looking for tangible ways for us to get involved. And so as of yesterday, uh, Brian Lamb, our missions pastor, met with uh, somebody from Normandale Baptist Church and Grace Baptist, and we're partnering with those two churches to work with a church out of Beaumont uh, who's directly affected by Harvey, and, uh, and we're going to be taking the first of probably several trips uh, starting, uh, that, this first trip will actually take place this coming Saturday. And so I um, wanted to give you that information. I know that's really quick turnaround. Some of you are able to take off work or don't work and able to go and participate. Others of you may want to wait until a later trip is scheduled so that you can participate. Um, but just a couple of quick things. This first trip will be September 9th through the 13th. Um, it is, uh, there's going to be an informational meeting on this Thursday, this Thursday evening at Normandale Baptist Church at 7. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that meeting if you think you might want to go just to find out you know, more information. Also, if you're unable to go but you want to help with this trip, um, we've got a list of things, starting with a five-gallon bucket and then 18 things that you can purchase to put in that bucket to send with this team as they go down to help folks there in the Beaumont area. And our goal will be uh, to work with um, LaBelle Baptist Church out of the Beaumont area. We had a connection there. Um, to reach out to families to help restore and to get things cleaned up and ultimately to be a tangible representation of the gospel in this community uh, and to lead them uh, to Jesus. And so if you want to be a part of that in any way, um, on the way out, you'll see Brian Lamb and Jeff Kolk. You'll see two men. You may not know who they are. They'll be holding these little pieces of paper. Grab one of these. This is more info uh, for you as you go and let you know how to get in contact with us. So there's that. Uh, So we're ready to get started in God's word. Um, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. Ha ha, just kidding. All the visitors are totally lost right now. We've been in the book of Acts for the last year. It took us a full year to get through the book of Acts, and we just finished it last Sunday, so don't turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start in Psalms 115. Uh, But I say that to say this. We're actually starting a new sermon series today uh, entitled Desires of the Heart. You may have seen the banner out by the street. I've already maybe seen that on social media. And this series is going to be a little bit different from what we normally do, where we normally go through a book of the Bible like we did with the book of Acts. This sermon series is going to be topical. We've got a specific topic that we're going to be allowing God's Word to speak into. Some of the sermons will be like today. 
um, somewhat of a survey of the Bible. We're going to hit five different passages of Scripture today. Some sermons will be like next week. We're going to go straight to Isaiah 44 and just camp out for the whole time, go verse by verse. We're going to do both of those uh, throughout this sermon series. And what we're going to be exploring are the things uh, that become the deepest desires in our hearts, these things that the Bible calls treasures or idols. As a matter of fact, I was going to originally call this sermon series idols of the heart, and we thought that would be a little bit confusing in a culture that doesn't use that word a whole lot unless we're talking about American Idol, and we thought that'd kind of make for a funny banner out by the street, so we changed it to desires of the heart, but we mean the same thing, and so we're going to explore this topic together and, and, and begin by just answering the question, what in the world is an idol, and what makes an idol so bad? So in Psalm 115, we're going to get a beautiful description of an idol, and, and what makes an idol so bad? So let's start in Psalm 115. Uh, we'll have these verses on the screen if you want to follow along in a Bible but don't have one with you. Um, we place the black hardback Bibles under the seats around you, and if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have that. Write your name in it, take it home, that's yours. So Psalm 115 is where we're going to start this morning. Starting in verse 4, we get this description of idols. The psalmist writes in verse 4, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but they do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Now, more than likely, when I say the word idol, you've got a, a mental picture in your mind of what we just read about. Some type of an image carved out of wood or stone or gold or silver. Maybe some little figurine of a deity that, that people bow down and Worship. Now, in a literal sense, that's what we mean. However, if that's the only way that the, an idol is understood or defined, then for the vast majority of us, we're out, right? We don't have those at home that we're aware of anyway. No little statues that we're bowing down and worshiping. No carved images out of gold that we're praying to, right? So the vast majority of us, that would not apply. But if we take a deeper look at these verses, we're going to see that the idea of an idol is so much bigger than what we just previously thought or previously defined an idol to be, and that it actually applies to every person in the room. Now, if we back up, we start with the first verse, the idols, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. And so when we think of idols, the first thing we need to think about are things that we can do, create, manipulate, and control with our own strength. Sometimes that's with our hands. Sometimes that's with our mouths. Sometimes that's with our personality or our status or our statue. But they're things that you attempt to do and control in your own strength. Okay? And so if we think of it that way, the idea just kind of got broadened a little bit, didn't it? Now, when you, when you look at this word idol, it's in Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's in Greek in the New Testament. We have a Greek word, uh, and it is idolon, okay? The word is defined, as you might think, false god. That's what we think about when we think of idols, right? A false god. But the word also could be translated ghost, phantom, and this is where it gets interesting, reflection or the shadow of a thing. 
And so when we think about idol in those terms, it begins to broaden our understanding and it begins to broaden the possibilities of what potentially could become idols in our life. And so the psalmist says, idols are the things that we do in our own strength. Now, the next thing I want to note here about the way idols are described, and somewhat in a humorous irony here, right? They have mouths, but they don't, they don't talk, they don't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, they can't see. Hands, they can't do anything. Feet, they can't walk. That last description, they have throats, uh, but they don't make a sound. That's the idea of breathing. They look like they should be alive, but, but they're not. And so something to note about idols is that the outward appearance of an idol makes a promise that in reality, it can't carry out or keep. It looks like it should talk, but it can't, right? It looks like it should be able to see and walk, and, but it can't. And so from a biblical perspective, idols are those things that from their outward appearance, first glance, seem to make a promise that they can't in actuality carry out or keep. The next thing I want to note here is this, those who make them become like them. Now, that's an interesting phrase. I don't know, did that catch anybody off guard and cause you to think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that you and I, we are created as image bearers. We reflect and we bear the image of those things that we worship. Now, let's apply that now to idols, and let's think about the culture we live in. If we think about idols as so much more than these little figurines, idols are so much more than simply things carved out of gold or these false deities. Idols can be anything that makes a promise to us that it can't keep. And we look at the culture around us and we begin to look at people who begin to bear the image of something else. Go to uh, a tailgate party at the Dallas Cowboys football game. Now, no, the pastor's not up here saying the Dallas Cowboys are evil and that it's wrong to go to a game. But, but look at how people will kind of conform to the same image there. Right? Go to a, a collegiate sports uh, venue and you'll see people kind of begin to look like one another. right? Because we're created as image bearers, reflecting the images of things that we love. Right? Have you ever seen the old couple that's been married for like 77 years and they look like each other? Right? You're like, whoa. We bear the image, we reflect the image of those things that we love. And that's what the psalmist is saying, is that when our, when our idols begin to capture our affections, if we remain there long enough, we'll begin to look like our idols. Right? You can see this. Uh, you can tell a guy whose idol is golf. He begins to look like it. Right? You can see, uh, you can see a person uh, who, whose idols are possessions. You can see it on the outward appearance, can't you? Or money, or Right? And so if we go down the list, what the psalmist is saying is you're going to begin to look on the outside like the things you cherish on the inside. You're going to reflect those images outwardly. Now, it's so important to, to understand the psalms that we just read, these verses don't say that, that idols are inherently all bad things. Matter of fact, I would propose to you that more often than not, the things that we turn into idols are actually good things. Things that God created good to remind us that he is good. I'll give you a few examples. Children. It's a big one in our culture today. Children. Right? When we allow our children to dominate, manipulate, prioritize the entire family schedule. Right? We begin to find our identity in our children, their behavior, how well they perform. We begin to live out our dreams through them. Children can quickly become 
idols. Now, here's the thing. Children make lousy idols, right? Now, let's, let's apply what we've learned to our, our children. Do they make promises that they can't keep? They come out of the womb making promises they can't keep, right? I mean, these little cute things come out of the womb, right? And the promise that, I, that was made to me when I first looked on my first child, I thought, this thing, he's going to make me happy, Right? We got into our first little crying spell that we couldn't figure out how to make it stop. And all of a sudden, he wasn't delivering on that promise anymore. Right? And, and it hasn't stopped since. Right? And so our idols are those things that capture our affections, those things we begin to hope in, as the psalmist says, trust in, to make us happy and secure. And, and if you begin to make idols out of your children, they're going to make lousy idols because they cannot sustain your joy, your security, your identity. There's those brief moments where they make you happy, but the vast majority of the time, right, they're testing patience. You're trying to remember, what, it, what is it that, why, why do I love you? I can't remember, right? Let's take another good thing that God created good for us. This one may not even be on your radar. How about the Bible? A good thing, right? We'd agree. Solid rock, we have a high view of the scriptures, meaning we, 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 we place a lot of stock in what the scriptures say, right? We spend time in every service allowing the scriptures to call us into worship, to guide our worship, to guide our hearts. We go to the scriptures, and we strive to treat the scriptures with reverence. However, we treat the scriptures in high regard because the scriptures call us to, to hold God in high regard, right? And if we ever, right, quit making that transition, and all we do is hold this in high regard without allowing the scriptures to compel us to hold God in high regard, we've missed it. And your Bible could become your idol. And think about that. Even good things, especially good things, can become idols. Uh, Tim Keller calls these things the incomplete joys of life. Things that sometimes make us happy but sometimes don't, when we turn to them to make us happy all the time, these are incomplete joys and we become like them now I want to go to the New Testament with you Matthew chapter 6 we're going to let Jesus speak into this situation and to speak into this topic Jesus is going to use the word treasure uh, to talk about idols meaning the same things okay Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 19 Here's what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this very powerful, simple statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he ends this discussion in 24 by saying, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's walk through this together. So the first thing that Jesus says about our earthly treasures is this. They're temporary, right? And it's foolish to find your joy and security in things that are temporary, things that can be taken away in a flash. So, for example, if your position at work is where you find your identity, your security, your joy. Ultimately, if your position at work has become your 
idol, that idol can be ripped away from you like this. And Jesus is saying, don't put your trust in things that can be taken away from you, either quickly or deteriorate slowly over time. Do not trust in the things of the earth. They're not meant to replace God. They're meant to bend our hearts towards God, to remind us that he's good and to stir our hearts for worship and affection towards Christ. And what Jesus is saying is this, do not make the things of this world your idols because they're temporary. Your children are temporary. Your job is temporary. Now, the next thing I want to point out here is what Jesus says. He makes this heart connection that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why we titled this series, Desires of the Heart. Because what we begin to idolize, to trust in, quickly begins to capture our affections. And we begin to love it and defend it, and we begin to promote it in our own lives. We're going to talk about how that works a little bit this morning and more over the course of the next 10 weeks. But the thing that I think he said that was so important here is this. He, he begins to compare... Um, when we have these idols that compete with God, he convinced to compare them as di- two different masters. Did you catch that at the end? He said, listen, you can't serve both God and money. He's using money as an example of an idol or an earthly treasure. He said, you can't serve both. You're going to love one and hate the other, or submit to one and despise the other. You can't serve them both. And so there's this competing factor in our hearts when we, even as Christians, cling to these idols, these treasures here on earth, and we have God saying, let go of those things and follow me. There's this, right, there's this tension in our hearts. Who am I going to obey here? And Jesus says, you can't obey both. You can't obey both God, the one true God, the creator of all things, and also worship and try to obey his creation. You've got to obey one or the other here. And so Jesus is going to boil it down to a matter of submission here. Now, So what we're going to do, I'm going to take just a brief break to let you know kind of what we're going to do. So we're going to take the course of the next 10 weeks to walk through this sermon series together. And we're going to take our time for a couple reasons. The the first reason is that the Bible is full of counsel on idols and what to do with them and why they're bad. So it's going to take some time to work through the different passages. But the second reason we're going to take our time is because idols never want to be discovered. In counseling, when we're having these conversations in counseling here with our counseling ministry, and we're trying to help somebody see what their idol is, it rarely, almost never happens in one session. It happens over the course of weeks, months, sometimes years before a person comes to that place where they realize they've been holding on to an idol. And so we're going to take our time. Um, What we're going to do over the next 10 weeks, we're going to do some background work today and next Sunday, and then we're going to walk through some examples of different idols And along the way, my hope is that God would do a work on us. I'm going to make a commitment to you to be transparent with you about the idols of my life, the things that God has refined out of my life over the last 10, 20 years, and also the things I'm still struggling with, okay? And my hope and my prayer is that we would all be open uh, to this idea that God wants to do a work in us. He wants to see victory come to our lives. He wants to see chains broken. He wants to see bondage and addictions shattered. But to get to the heart of the matter, we've got to be willing to have these hard conversations. Luke chapter uh, 6 is where we're going to go next. And this is where Jesus is going to teach us such an important thing about the connection with sin and idols. Now, I think for the vast majority of us, we're familiar with the concept of sin. right? If you've been to church once, you've probably heard that word 
Sin is disobeying God. It's doing the things that God said don't do or not doing the things that God said to do, right? Those are, that's sin. What we're going to see here in Luke 6, though, is a connection between the sin that comes out of our life and the, idol that we, the idols that we harbor inside our own hearts. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 43 of Luke 6. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure in his heart, or evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so here's what Jesus is going to say. You can try to hide your idols, and you can try to bury them deep down inside and pretend like they're not there, but they're going to manifest and come out in some fashion. He says, here's the thing. Good trees, good roots produces what? Good fruit. Bad trees, bad roots produces bad fruit. So we can deduce from that then, if there's still a, still a sin struggle in my life, then I've still got some work to do, right, on uprooting these idols. There's still some bad roots going on here. Now, if you're here today and you would say, um, you know what, I don't struggle with sin anymore, hey, you're good then. We'll see you in November. Feel free to check out, okay? Um, for the rest of us, though, who are going to be really honest, there's still some wrestling and some struggling with bad fruit. I still do stuff I don't want to do sometimes. And I still don't do the things I know I should do sometimes. Anybody else want to be honest? Okay, the Bible just called that bad fruit, which means that that bad fruit is coming from somewhere. And one of the greatest mistakes and one of the most frustrating things we can do as Christians is to just go chase sin. Okay? Now let me explain that. I don't know if you guys remember the game at Chuck E. Cheese with the little mole that would pop up and you had a hammer. What a frustrating game. You can't win, right? Because why? If you, even if you hit the mole, little woolly booger, if you hit him, what does he do? He comes up somewhere else. I can remember as a kid getting so frustrated, just tossing the hammer up and walking away, going back to like skeetball or asteroids or something, something I could actually win. Like, so frustrating. Listen, that is the game of chasing after sin. If all you do is go after the symptom and never deal with the root cause, it's going to be like trying to hit that, that mole. A few times you may make contact, but what is going to happen? That sin is going to manifest somewhere else and look completely different in your life. Why? Because it's coming from a deep rooted source the bible calls the treasures of your heart or the idols of your heart and jesus is saying what is in your heart is going to come out you still got some words coming out of your mouth you wish weren't coming out still speaking out in anger still using words that after you say them you think gosh i wish i wouldn't have said that that was hurtful harmful sinful those words are coming from somewhere and you can't just chase after the sin you can't just stop sinning you guys remember the Bob Newhart uh, episode where he's posing as a counselor? I don't know if you've seen this or not. Go look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. The client comes in, and he's pretending to be a counselor. And like, what's the problem? What's the problem? Do you remember his solution for those of you who've seen it? Stop it! <laughs> this poor lady's pouring out her soul and explaining all the things that are wrong. He's like, okay, okay, I've heard you. I know the solution. Well, what is it? Stop it! Well, that sounds simple enough, right? But, but we can't just stop it. If we just try to stop it, right, we're just going after the symptoms. We have to be willing to look deeper into our lives and allow God to do a work in us of removing the roots of these things, these treasures and these idols 
Now, this is where I really want to talk for just a minute. I'm going to open up the topic um, on addictions, okay? This is what the Bible calls bondage. And, um, and so for a lot of people in this room, if not all of us, there is some type of an addiction, okay? Now, we've got the obvious ones. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, um, lying, right? Those are the big things that maybe some folks in here are struggling with right now. And you know how futile and frustrating it is to just go after and try to just stop it. You've done it, right? You've stopped it. Only to do what? To start doing it again. And s- some of you have been doing that so long, you've got frustrated, you've stopped stopping it, right? You've quit even trying to stop it because you don't want to fail again and have to ask for forgiveness again, right? And it's just it's frustrating. Others of us, I think the addictions are a little bit more subtle. We're going to explore some of these. And so for everything that, that makes up the complex equation of addictions, including you know, chemicals in our body, lifestyles and habits, and all these things going on, from a spiritual perspective, at the root of the matter, oftentimes there is an idol driving it. And I'm going to share with you how that works. Okay, So let's take, for example, the idol of the approval of others. If you're a person who has the idol of the approval of others, then how other people view you matters more than it should. You've come to a place where your security, your joy, your sense of meaning in life is contingent upon what others think about you, right? Because you've come to, like we read in Psalm 115, trust in that idol. You need people to like you, okay? Now, if that's you, that can play out in a hundred different ways, can't it? Let's talk about just three examples. So if you have this idol um, of the approval of others, and, and you have a job, then one way it may play out is you might be a workaholic. You may be busting your tail in the office day in, day out, not to glorify Christ, not just to make money for your family, because you're still trying to earn the approval of your supervisor or your boss, because you need it. You've bought into the lie that you can't be happy, satisfied, secure, until you have it. And so maybe for you, Right, that, that idol of needing the approval of others is playing out in a, in a workaholic um, uh, lifestyle to the neglect now of your family. Now, you see how that idol has begun to play out in a sinful way? Let's take that same idol, though, and let's talk about another way it could play out. How about pornography? Not a comfortable subject, but it's one we got to deal with, church, because it's rampant in our culture today. Same idol. The approval of others. A person finds himself not getting it or feeling like they're getting it from the people around them and can't earn approval, so they go to an imaginary world. They go into a world where the object on their screen, they make up this false scenario. This person somehow has approved of them and likes them, and they engage in it. And for a brief moment, it feels good. Why? Because you're feeding that idol. And what happens? It turns into an addiction. So for one, it's a workaholic. The other one, it's an addiction to pornography. For another person, it may be deception. You can never tell the truth. Why? Because you're afraid of what people think about you. And you're afraid if you tell them the truth, they won't love you. And so this idol of the approval of others plays out in the sin of deception and lying. You see how you can't just come to these quick solutions. We've got to work hard. We've got to be willing to drill down deep into who we are and ask some really important questions. Why do I want this person's approval so much? Why do I do these ridiculous things in my life? What's driving this sinful activity in my life? I want to look for just a moment um, at an example from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Um, First of all, we're going to go to Exodus 20. If you're um, somebody who knows your Bible well, this is where we find the Ten Commandments. 
Okay? So we're going to look at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Does anybody know what the first commandment is? Some of you do. I can tell you're looking at you like, just call on me. I got it. The rest of us are like, don't call on me. I think it says something about honoring your mom or something. So I think it's important to understand where God begins the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus 20, verse 3. Listen what he says. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Sounds like a big deal to God, doesn't it? Now, from here, like, we're going to continue this for several more verses. Now, when I, when I used to read this as a young Christian, I thought God was talking about the priorities of life. Like, I'm not supposed to have any other gods before him on the priorities of my life, so, like, my wife can never become more important to me than God. My children can never become more important to me than God. But that word before is not the idea of priority. It's the idea of being before him in his presence. God said, you can have no, no other gods, period, before me. Right? He's not talking about a totem pole of priorities. He's talking about, like, no other gods in your life. And then he will go on to say, in verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So from the beginning, God tells us he desires for us to keep his commandments, right? God would desire that we would keep his commandments. But I think what we're reading here in the Ten Commandments is that if we don't get this one right, we can just forget the rest of them, right? If we have any other gods before him, then our hearts are going to be skewed, we're going to have idols in our life, and we're not going to even come close to obeying or living out the rest of them. Right? Our obedience to God begins where? With making him our one true God, our only object of worship and affection. He's saying, you shall have no other gods before me. I am jealous for your affection and your worship, and that's good for you. You shall have no other gods before me. Now we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, and this is where we're going to land today. Galatians chapter 5 is in your New Testament This is the passage where the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So you may be familiar with some of this. You may even have it memorized. But we're going to back up before we get to the fruit of the Spirit because that's actually not where Paul starts. Paul starts with the deeds of the flesh. Paul starts with the bad fruit before he gets to the good fruit. Remember that conversation Jesus was having? Good fruit, bad fruit? Well, in verse 19 in Galatians chapter 5, we read, first of all, about the bad fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So Paul is saying, here's some samples. It's not the whole list. Here's some samples of the bad fruit that comes out of the bad heart. Then he goes on to say, I warn you as I warn you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
but the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the good fruit Jesus was talking about, the good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what Paul is saying is that if you see good fruit coming out of my life from this list, what you're seeing is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I can't will myself uh, to not sin, nor can I will myself to do good. It's got to be the Holy Spirit in me, me submitting to him in my life, right, that will produce these things, that will turn, right, this list of deeds of the flesh into fruit of the Spirit. And so if we were going to be real honest with ourselves and, 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 and take some inventory about the things coming out of our life, our actions, our words, our attitudes, there's some evidence in the room that you and I need to do some heart work, right? Can we just be honest? Right? The evidence coming out of our lives unmistakably says to me, Jason, you need to be willing to look deeper. You ready to quit lashing out with your words against your boys when you get angry? Yes, God, I'm so ready. I'm tired of having to come back and ask for forgiveness. We need to do some heart work. You tired of entering into foolish, dumb arguments with your wife where in the end all you care about is being right and you'll say anything that you have to say to be right and in the end you, you trash your wife's heart? Yeah, I'm so tired of that, God. Well, we need to be willing to look deep into who you are. You need to be willing to be honest about the idols of your heart. There's something driving those actions. Now, Here's the good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the Bible. We have a God who can fulfill all your desires, and he always delivers on what he promises. In stark contrast to the idols made by our own hands, the things we try to control and manipulate and make on our own, he can sustain the gifts of his promises. So when he says to you, I will give you comfort, he always delivers that. Right? My kids, not so much. My wife, not so much. When he says to you, I can be a sustainable uh, source of joy for you that is never tarnished and never goes away, he can deliver on that. My job cannot. My hobbies cannot. When he, when he speaks to me and says, Jason, my son, I can, I can give you a security that you can't find anywhere else on this earth, he, he can deliver that. The federal government cannot. The local authorities cannot. Me protecting myself, I cannot right, give that kind of security. And so there's, there's a couple of ironies here to the idea of, of, of idol worship. And we're going to see this all throughout the sermon series. It's almost going to make you chuckle at times, especially next week when we see the irony of our idol worship. The first irony is this, that we place so much trust and affection in these, these silly things. Right? Whether your idol is the approval of others or it's a golden statue at home, there's some, there's some irony there. There's some room to kind of chuckle and go, that's so funny that I thought this was going to actually make me happy. That's, right? if we, once we get to the place where we stand back and see it, we can see the irony of it. Here's the second level of that. The one true God who can deliver on those promises is completely available to you right now. You don't have to go anywhere and earn it. You don't have to get on a waiting list. You don't have to go stand in line at the pump and hope you get your tank full. God is here saying, I am available right now. And so here's where I want to land today. 
If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to pray with me this morning. Here's what I want us to be willing to pray. Let's ask God to give us a willing heart. Let's ask God to give us a willing heart to explore the things in our lives that potentially have become idols. I think we've got to start there. Okay? If we're not willing to do that, begin exploring this, opening up ourselves, right, then this is going to be frustrating and there's going to be no growth that comes out of us. You're here today, you're a Christian. Would you pray that prayer with me throughout this series? God, give me a willing heart to explore, to be open. Like we sang earlier, right, speak things that are true. God, would you speak things that are true to me through this sermon series? Um, at the end of the sermon series, we're going to take a whole Sunday to hear about how God works in your life. We're going to do testimonies and potentially some baptisms. And so we're building that into the series already. Looking forward to that. Along the way, we want your feedback. Emails, phone calls, text messages. Let us know how God's speaking to you through his word in this sermon series. Second thing is this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't need to wait to the end of a sermon series. Today, right now. You can trust in Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that when you do that, it's like finding this amazing treasure. You finally find the thing you've been looking for. And so I want to encourage you to make that decision today. If that's you and you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, um, our prayer partners are going to be available at the back of the room and the front of the room for the remainder of the service, and they would be honored to get to talk with you and pray with you and answer any questions you have about becoming a Christian. Others in the room may have other things going on in your life. They're here for you as well. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up. And uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then we're going to respond. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for, God, your leadership to guide us into a conversation that can be oftentimes uncomfortable, unwanted, Father, we are creatures of comfort. And so, God, to be willing to, to have this conversation for, for most of us, if not all of us, God, is a very uncomfortable thing. And so today, we're asking, God, that you would simply give us a willing heart. God, give us a willingness to explore, God, our own hearts, our own treasures, our own desires. And through that process, God, we're hoping that you will refine us. You will extract the bad roots. You will refine our motives. That in any area of our life, God, where our worship is, is directed at anything or anyone other than you, God, that you would reorient that worship back to you. And God, for any person here that doesn't know you, God, we pray today would be the day of salvation. The day of trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so these are our prayers, God. Would you meet with us now as we respond?